For those of you new here, I'm Chris Dirks. I'm the main teaching pastor here. We're working our way through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' biggest single discourse or message uh, sermon in the entire Bible, in the Gospels. It's uh, all of Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us his manifesto for kingdom living. What does it mean to, to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to live as part of his kingdom? That's the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've just been working our way through. We're working our way through beginning to end, okay? I'm not picking and choosing passages. We're just going right through the whole thing. Uh, last uh, two weeks ago, we were, uh, uh, we were in anger and reconciliation. Uh, last week, we did lust. Now, today, we, are, we should be on verses 31 and 32, which is divorce. I'm going to skip over those simply because Pastor Ray preached on those exact uh, passages. He preached a message on divorce and marriage uh, just last month on exactly verses 31 and 32, so I'm just going to skip over that. And we're going to go straight to verses 33 to 37, which is Jesus speaking on the whole issue of taking oaths, all right? So let's read that, and then, uh, and then we'll get into this. Jesus said this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And again, we've uh, seen this through the last few weeks. There's this formula that he uses uh, a whole bunch of times in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said of old. He's taking uh, Old Testament uh, commandments, right? And he's, and he's bringing them uh, into our setting and he's bringing them to life. He's not canceling them. He's bringing them to life. This is the purpose behind them. This is God's vision behind these commandments, right? So he says, okay, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from uh, evil. Okay, so do not take an oath at all, Jesus says. Now, uh, this, it's this passage exactly that certain Christian groups have taken over the years, including Mennonites, so many of us. I mean, if you're here today and you're like me, you've got a last name that's Dirksen or Friesen or Penner or Lowen, and there's, goodness knows, there's a lot of you Penners. Uh, but uh, um, John Penner in particular, I think we had like seven John Penners or something ridiculous at some point in our church, but anyway. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a Mennonite here today, you've got a Mennonite last name. Uh, many of our forefathers historically have taken this passage uh, very literally, and by the way, that's not bad, and other Christian groups have done the same, but certain Christian groups have taken this passage very, very literally, do not take an oath at all, to mean that it is never okay in any, any circumstance to ever take an oath. So uh, many uh, of our Mennonite forefathers, you know, in courts, like, you know, in court where they, you, you sort of tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, to so help you God, all that sort of stuff, have on conscience, ref, you know, because of conscience, re refused to do that, all right? And by the way, they're not bad for having done that. Uh, we're not, I'm not criticizing them or anything like that, but that is just certain Christian groups are taking this passage to mean that, okay? And uh, now, if that's true, okay, okay, if it's true that Jesus means there's absolutely never, ever an occasion to take an oath, then we need to take that seriously, and it's going to radically change the way we live, because, uh, it, you know, it's not just in the courtroom that we take oaths, okay? I mean, anybody who's a member of parliament, uh, before, you know, if you get voted in to be an MP, uh, before you can sit in the House, you have to take an oath, okay? Any important government offices, prime minister, you know, in, in, in America, president, uh, various different offices, all require you to take an oath before you take office. If you're a police officer, you take an oath, 
You know, when you become a police officer, you take an oath to protect the citizens, blah, blah, you have all these different things. Many doctors and lawyers have to take oaths. I mean, uh, for that matter, uh, wedding vows. Any of you who's married, uh, any of you who has ever or been to a, a wedding, that's pretty much everybody here, I'm sure, almost everybody. Uh, if you've ever been to a wedding or, or, or if you're married, uh, the wedding vow, that's an oath. You're promising before God. You're not just saying, yes, I'm going to stay married to you all our lives and then done. Everybody's like, oh, wow, that was amazing. Uh, you're promising before God, and you're making a vow, you're taking an oath before God, so God help me, I'm going to stay with you until death do us part. That's an oath. See, that's all an oath is, okay? An oath is just when you, you make a solemn promise binding yourself to do something, okay? Um, and, and so that's an oath. You could call it a vow uh, or a promise. And so actually, if, if you really um, if you really look at this thing, if Jesus is saying never take an oath at all, actually that would knock out signing contracts and legal documents and even mortgage documents because what are you doing when you sign a document is you're taking, it's a form of an oath. You're not just saying, yes, I'm going to do that or no, I'm not going to do that. You're actually signing your name. It's a form of an oath. I'm promising. I'm bound by what is here now. That's what an oath is. You're not just saying, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'll tell the truth in court. court you're swearing. You're, you're making a promise. I promise to tell the truth. I swear to tell the truth. That's what an oath is. It's just a promise, okay? And so if Jesus is saying here, do not take an oath at all, we need to take that seriously. It's going to radically change the way we live. And if that isn't what he's saying, then we need to figure out what he is saying because everything he said, he said with a purpose and obeying Jesus is life. He, he means what he says. So we've got to figure out either he's telling us give up all oaths and promises and everything together or he's telling us something else, in which case we better do our due diligence and figure out what he is saying so we can obey him, so we can follow him, so we can have life. Because this is his manifesto of kingdom living, all right? So let's pray, and we're going to get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your Sermon on the Mount. It is a wonderful message. When we follow you, when we obey you, we find freedom, we find joy, we find you. And that's what really this is all about. This isn't just about oaths. This is about obeying what you say about oaths so we can know you and love you more. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that today, as we look at this issue of oaths and promises, I pray that you would meet with us here today. This is more, this is not about head knowledge. This is not about figuring out some things in our heads that we got good doctrine or something like that. This is about us pleasing you and loving you. And I pray that you would help us to do that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right? So again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord all that you have sworn. Now, uh, the last couple of weeks, so I, I said before, Jesus is quoting here from the Old Testament. He's taking commandments out. He's bringing them to life. That's what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Takes this, the Old Testament commandment. You have heard it said. He's not canceling it. He, fill, he fills in the details. He brings life to so He says, this is the intention. This is what God wants you to live up to. And uh, now the last two weeks, we saw Jesus quoting directly out of the Ten Commandments. Okay? This time, when he says, you have heard that it, uh, it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perf shall perform the Lord what you have said, um, he's, he's not quoting a spe one specific command. What he's do doing is he's summarizing two very common commands that are throughout the Old Testament. They're, they're repeated again and again and again. He's summarizing those two. It's a big emphasis in the Old Testament. It has to do with integrity. He's summarizing those and crunching them together into this, into this quote, but it's not an exact quote, okay? And the two commands he's scrunching together and summarizing that are all over in the Old Testament are, first of all, um, if you ever promise to do something or swear you're going to do something in God's name, you better not be promising falsely. You better not be lying, 
Okay, if you, if you swear you're telling the truth in God's name, you better not be lying about that. If you, and the second thing he's saying, it, the second commandment he's scrunching in there is, there's also another command that appears over and over and over again in the Old Testament, which is, if you promise God you're going to do something, you better not break your promise. So if you swear in God's name, you better be telling the truth. And if you promise God you're going to do something, you better not break that promise. Okay, let me just show you a couple of examples. This is a huge theme throughout the Old Testament. Okay, I'll just show you a few. Numbers 30 verse 2 says this, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word, okay? He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So, I mean, now that's a good commandment. Can you imagine if we all live by that, including us Christians? Can you imagine if in our society, <coughs> sorry, I got a bit of a sore throat, if in our society and in the marketplace, if everybody just did everything that came out of their mouth, they actually followed up on it. If they said they were going to do something, they kept their word. Would that not be amazing, all right? That's Numbers 32. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So we see, and again, we just find these all through the Old Testament. If you say you're going to do something, or you promise God you're going to do something, or you say it in his name, he will hold you guilty if you don't follow through. Very important, okay? Leviticus 19, 11, uh, verse 11 to 12. Uh, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Okay, those are, those are good commands. Okay, verse 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Okay, so God says actually, if you, if you swear that you're telling the truth or you promise you're going to do something in God's name and then you don't do it, you're actually profaning his name. You're taking his name in vain. Okay, now if we go to Exodus 20 verse 7, Exodus 20 verse 7 is a very famous, the third commandment, and, it, and it's the commandment there, uh, Darlene, if you could put that up there, Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, this is, again, famous commandment. Most of us, when we see this commandment, we automatically assume, what is this commandment about? It's about not saying the word Jesus, the name of Jesus as a swear word, right? Or saying, you know, Jesus Christ, using that precious, holy, sacred name, using it as a swear word, or using God's name as an exclamation mark, like, oh my you know, and people use it very, uh, just casually, oh my God, and they, and they use God's name like that in casual speech. When we think of taking God's name in vain, that's what we think of, and yes, it's true, that is included in taking God's name in vain. There's no question that when you, to, to use the name of Jesus as a swear word, or to just talk about God casually as an exclamation mark, to just throw his, 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 his throw the word God around like that, that is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's very serious, but actually, that this, this commandment is not specifically about that. It includes that, and we should never do that. But this commandment is not ultimately about that. The word there, vain, is at, could actually just be translated falsely. Uh, that go, what God is saying here is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in, for falsehood, okay? Or for the Lord God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name falsely. In other words, to swear you're going to do something in God's name. By God, I'm going to do this. Or with God as my witness, I'm going to do this. To use God's name and then to not follow through, to break your promise or to be lying when you swear in God's name. That's what this commandment is, is all about. Okay? Now, uh, and, if, and again, I just want to emphasize, of course, it, in, it includes just using his name for emptiness as well. But it's mostly for using his name for falseness. All right? Very important. Now, a lot of us today, because of some of the teaching about the Sermon on the Mount, we would just think, well, why would anyone want to use God's name to make a promise? Like, that just sounds like a terrible thing to do. But I want you to notice here in this, in this command, 
God does not say he doesn't want us using his name when we make a promise or when we swear an oath. It's that he doesn't want us to swear an oath falsely using his name, okay? In fact, if we go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, and again, I just have to set a bunch of groundwork here in the first half of this message because we really have to take seriously what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. If he, like when he says, do not take an oath at all, we've got to figure out what he's meaning there. I've got to just lay a bit of found, found, uh, you know, foundational, some groundwork. Because if he's saying never take an oath, and that's really what he meant to say in any circumstance, it's going to change the way we live, okay? So I'm just tracing you some history now in Scripture and thinking on, on oaths in the Bible, all right? So if we go to Deuteronomy 6.13, God was not against the Israelites swearing oaths. He was not against them swearing oaths in his name. In fact, he said this, Deuteronomy 6.13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So in the appropriate circumstances, God says, I want you to use my name. In the appropriate circumstances where someone who loves him and serves him and lives with integrity uh, is wanting to make a commitment to something or, uh, or, or, or wants to bring God in as a witness to the truth of what they are saying or about to do, God says, when my kids who live in integrity and who love me, they want to bring me into stuff, I want to be your reference point for truth. I'm good with that. I don't want you using some idol or something else. In solemn circumstances, in appropriate circumstances, I will be, <clears throat> I'm okay with you uh, using my name. Now, I'm just going to take a quick, uh, quick break here so I don't run out of voice. <clears throat> All right, so, and I could show you examples of this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Bible, is godly people uh, using the name of God to swear to something that's true. Okay, I could show you a whole bunch in the Old Testament. Let me just show you a few in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul did this at least half a dozen, half a dozen times in his letters. I want to show you this. The Apostle Paul using God's name to swear to the truth of something he's saying. Okay, so for example, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 23, Paul is writing to the church of Corinthians, and the reason he's writing is he's, he's explaining to them why he had just been on a trip that went past Corinth, and he didn't visit the church at Corinth. And he's writing them to tell them why. It's important to him that they know why he didn't come and visit them. And so he wants them to know his motives. He doesn't want them, on the one hand, thinking that he is abandoning them. On the other hand, he doesn't want factions within the church thinking he's afraid of them and that he's abdicating his authority. Okay? So he wants them to know that the only reason he didn't visit their church is because he wanted to spare them from having to rebuke them and hurt them. And so, and so then he, this is what he says. But he wants, he wants them to really know that what he's saying is true. So he says this, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. He doesn't just tell them his motives. He doesn't just say, The only reason I didn't come is because I wanted to spare you a rebuke. Okay? He wants to really emphasize that what he's saying is true, so he brings an oath into it. That's what an oath is. It's just, you're not saying just this is what I did. You're saying this is what I did, and then really emphasizing it with an oath, and he calls God as his witness. He says, yeah, I love God. I'm telling the truth. I'll call God as a witness to stand and testify with me. I call God as my witness. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming into Corinth. So that's an oath. That's Paul. That's the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, okay? I'll show you a couple other examples. Galatians 1, verse 20. In this part, he's talking to the church at Galatia, and he's telling them that he got the message, the gospel he's preaching is from God. He didn't learn it from other people. And he, it's really important to him, he's really emphasizing this, that he did not learn this from some human beings, he learned this from God directly. And to emphasize it again, he says this, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. He doesn't just say, I'm not lying. He says, he makes an oath. 
Okay, like a promise, like he swears to the truth of it before. Before God, I do not lie. So there's Paul again. This is in the New Testament. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, swearing to the truth of something in God's name. Okay? And many others, Romans 1 verse 9, he says to the church uh, at Rome, the Christians at Rome, he says, for God is my witness. And, he, and he's explained to them that he has wanted to come see them. It's not that he's been avoiding them, but he's been hindered by various circumstances. He says, God is my witness. I really do want to come visit you. God is my witness. That's true. I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating, okay? So now we need to go back to the Sermon on the Mount because it sure seems like we have a, a contradiction here now, right? Because Jesus clearly said, if we go back there now, right? G, uh, Jesus said in Romans, or I mean in, in Matthew chapter 5, as we just saw, he said, do not, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, okay? And that just, that just seems so obvious, Okay? So do we have a contradiction here? Because Paul is swearing to things in God's name like half a dozen times in writing in the New Testament. And here we have Jesus saying, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Okay? So the question is, do we have a contradiction? Are we supposed to take this literally? Does Jesus mean there is never ever an occasion where it's okay to take an oath? Well, okay, because it seems pretty clear. And some people will look at this and say, how can you turn this on, on its head? How can you look at Jesus saying, do not take an oath at all and say that it doesn't mean always, okay? Well, the thing is, if we only had this one passage, it's true. If we only had Matthew chapter 5, we would have to say, yes, it's never okay to take an oath, okay? But the fact of the matter is, we have all of Scripture, and all of Scripture is inspired by the Spirit of Jesus, not just the words in red. Those are the ones he said in person while he's on earth, but the rest of the words are all inspired by his Spirit too, so it all ties together. And here's the thing, Whenever you're looking at a topic like this, if you only take, if you build your whole doctrine off of one passage, this is how you can come to have error. Because in any one given passage, whether it be Jesus speaking or Paul writing or Moses writing in the Old Testament, if you take just one passage and build your whole doctrine off that, what you don't realize is in that passage, that person is speaking to a very specific situation. And so if, if you ignore the rest of the Bible, what you'll ignore is in the rest of the Bible, they'll hit that same topic, but from other angles in different situations. And so it's very easy to build error in doctrine by just looking at one passage. So if there's more than one passage in Scripture that talks about a topic, you have to take it all together. So if we only had this one, then we would say, yes, what Jesus meant to say was it's never okay to take an oath ever. But we have the rest of Scripture. And not only do we have Paul half a dozen times swearing to things in God's name under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing in the New Testament, if we go to Matthew 26, we will find Jesus swearing under oath in court. Okay? Jesus, Matthew chapter 26, I have to show you this because this just shows you. It, you. People take one isolated passage and then they go like this and they ignore the rest. But obviously Jesus did not mean you can never take an oath at all in any, in any circumstances because in Matthew 26, this is right before his crucifixion, he is in court. The high priest and the Jewish leaders are interrogating him just before the crucifixion. And the entire time they're interrogating him, he's not responding, he's not responding, he's not responding, he's just quiet. It's all just lies and falsehoods anyway. And then at one point, the high priest specifically puts him under oath. I'm going to show you this. Matthew 26, verse 63. Okay? But Jesus remained silent. Okay? 
And this has been going on now for probably some hours, okay? And then now, what happens next? And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Now, this was the most serious oath in Israel, going back to Old Testament times, that a leader of Israel, whether it may be a judge or a priest or a king, in a court setting or in a formal setting, they would, in, in the Old Testament, they would, and up until Jesus' time, they would say to you, if, they, if it was really important that they got the truth about something, they could demand a person, they would put a person under oath and say, I adjure you by the living God. And this was the most solemn oath you could put someone under, is now whatever you say, if you take this oath upon you, if you respond now and take this oath upon you, a curse will be on you from God if you lie, because you're now lying in his name. Okay, and so the high priest, it's just like when we're in a court of law today and, and, and someone from the court says, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth to help you, God? And you say, yes, you're taking that oath on you. The high priest speaks to Jesus and says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, and so now verse 64, what does Jesus do? He takes the oath upon himself. He responds. He's been quiet the whole time. They put him under oath. He responds. He says, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes, and it goes on from their famous story, right? So Jesus himself, clearly, he said in Matthew 5, do not take oaths at all, but clearly he was not thinking about every possible situation, including a court situation or various things like that. He must have been speaking to something very specific because his own disciples and the apostle Paul, after he left, he himself spoke under oath in a court, and his, and, and his disciples and the Apostle Paul all, all also took vows and oaths after he was gone. So all of them understood that taking oaths was okay. I'll show you a couple more examples. First Thessalonians 5.27, Paul says this, I put you under oath. He says this to the Thessalonian church. Just explicitly, right in writing, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And the rest of the disciples too. I'll read you one story. Acts chapter 21, okay? Acts chapter 21, verse 17 when we, that's Luke and Paul and the rest of Paul's missionary group, had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. So James was the brother of Jesus. He was one of the head apostles in the early church in Jerusalem. And the other elders were there too. So Peter will have been there. The other apostles were there. And Paul and Luke come in, okay? And now the apostles are there. Now watch what happens, okay? After greeting them, he, that's Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then, verse 22, here's what get, where it gets interesting, talking about vows. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we, have t what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow, okay? This is James and the apostles talking. These are the guys who actually walk with Jesus. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the early church, okay? And right in their midst, Jesus is going back to heaven. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been with Jesus. And they have four men in their midst who have taken a vow, okay? A vow is an oath, okay? In those days, people would take these solemn vows for various reasons, certain times in their life where they would, uh, you know, something extreme was happening or they needed an answer in prayer uh, from God about something. And so they would take a vow, which was just a form of an oath. They would go to the temple and they would make a promise to God in his name to abstain from wine and touching dead bodies. Uh, um, uh, yeah, 
we don't touch a lot of dead bodies now, but it happened more in those days. And they, so they make a vow, they wouldn't touch wine, they wouldn't touch dead bodies, and they, you know, they wouldn't cut their hair, and they'd have this vow, they'd take an oath for a certain period of time, and they would devote themselves to the Lord through prayer and fasting. And that was a vow, which is just kind of an oath. I promise in God's name to do something. I swear in God's name that I'm going to do such and such. Okay? And Paul comes to Jerusalem, and the apostles, James and Peter and the rest of them, they have four men in their midst who are under an oath like that. So clearly, and they were there for the Sermon on the Mount, clearly they did not understand Jesus when he said, do not take an oath at all. They did not understand him to be saying that there is never, ever in any situation uh, a place where you cannot take an oath. And of course, we can look through the rest of Scripture. We find many places where God himself took oaths. He took an oath with with uh, Abraham, he took an oath with David. In Hebrews, he took an oath for the new covenant. Uh, um, he, all over, God's saying, oh, so clearly an oath in its, of itself is not bad. David in the Psalms, I'm going to skip ahead there, Darlene. I'm just going to miss the end of the Acts 21 chapter there. But Psalm 76, verse 11, David talks a bunch of times in the Psalms about how in certain appropriate cases, it's very worshipful to make a vow to the Lord and fulfill it. He says, make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them in Psalm 76. In Psalm 61, verse 5, he says to God, For you, O God, have heard my vows. Okay, Psalm 65, verse 1, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Okay? And so again, we see the, there's this whole testimony. So yeah, if you just look at one sentence in Matthew chapter 5, it looks like there's never a case for oath-taking ever, and many Christians have taken it literally to mean that. But if we look at the whole testimony of Scripture, we have to look a little deeper. What is Jesus actually saying? So if we go back to Matthew 5 now, we've got to figure out, because if, if he's not saying ever, what is he saying? We need to obey that, okay? And so the thing you have to understand here is Jesus was speaking to a very specific situation that was happening in his day, in his culture, Okay, and what was happening, remember what I've been saying in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes these commands from the Old Testament and he brings them to life. Because what happens is, us with our human sin nature, is here's the Old Testament command, don't swear falsely in God's name, don't break any promises you make to God. Okay? Everybody was good with that. Okay, that's clear. You should never make a promise that you made in God, you should never break a promise that you made in God's name, you should never swear falsely if it's in God's name. But what if we make an oath in somebody else's name? See how the human sin nature works? God's intention here wasn't, you should just have integrity when you're using my name. His bigger purpose is you should always have integrity. But the law just said, make sure you don't break any, law, any, any promises you make in God's name. And human sin nature comes along and says, okay, well then it's, then it's not as bad if we break a promise that's not in God's name, right? And the Jews had actually come up with this complicated system. In fact, you can find, they, they found writings from that time period that go through this complicated system of which oaths were more, you know, binding than others. So, you know, if you made an oath by the temple, that was less binding than by the gold in the temple. You can make oaths by the altar, by the gift on the altar in the temple. There's, they had this whole complex system of oaths, and some were more meaningful than others. And it was such a problem in Jesus' day. Matthew 23, he speaks about it uh, directly. He says this in Matthew 23, starting in verse 16. He says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, blind guides! Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Okay? You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that is made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? 
So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells on it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So Jesus says, an oath is an oath. Human sin nature takes the command from the Old Testament and looks for technicalities. Okay? God said, don't break any promises you make in my name. So if I make a promise by the temple, it's not as bad if I break it. They were looking for, and Jesus comes along and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay? It's not just about when you do it in God's name. That's what the law said, but the purpose behind the law was much bigger. It's about integrity. An oath is an oath. You swear by the temple, you're swearing by him whose footstool that is. You swear by heaven, you're swearing by him who lives in heaven. An oath is an oath. All right? Now, of course, that seems a bit ridiculous to us. And I know Matthew 23, I know very few people in our culture today who feel any conviction when they read Matthew 23 because most of us read that and we just go, oh, how childish, right? How pathetic. I mean, how, I mean, to make different oaths and you can break one, you can break others. What a lack of integrity those Jews had. Isn't that what we think? We read Matthew 23, we feel no conviction to ourselves. Because we just think, that's, that's pathetic. Like, who does that? You know, a system of oaths, it's childish, it's obvious, right? I'll tell you something I'm fully, utterly convinced of. And that is human nature has not improved since the time of Jesus. Human nature has not improved since the time of Jesus, okay? You say, well, we don't do stuff like that. Yes, we do. We just have a different system. We just have a different system, okay? They had, you know, if you swear by this one, you got to keep it. If you swear by this one, you don't have to keep it. We have a different system. Our system is if you sign your name on it, then you better keep it, okay? But if you agree, agree to do something and you haven't signed the contract yet, it's not so bad if you break it. Is that not true? Yeah, but that's different. How is it different? They said, if you promise by this, you can't break it. If you promise by this, you can break it. We say, I told you I'd do it, but we haven't signed the contract yet, so it's not as bad. It's not as bad if you break it when you haven't signed a contract, but it is bad if you have signed a contract. Well, that's not fair. Okay? I didn't say I promise. You Pharisee. So if you say, I promise, then you have to keep it. But if you don't say, I promise, you don't have to keep it. We're no different than the Pharisees are. We feel no conviction. We read the Matthew 23, we feel no conviction, but we have our own system. We have our own system. And so Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, if you're going to have any oaths that you can break, then the whole system of oaths is a sham. It's just a sham. There's no integrity. It's all about you're trying to judge the person's sincerity by what they said. And in our system, you're trying to judge the person's sincerity by have we signed a document yet? Do I have legal binding? Because you can't trust them just because they said they would do it. So Jesus says, if you have to have that, the whole system falls apart. You're not taking oath at all. He wasn't thinking of the situation of being in a court and swearing to tell the truth or taking a solemn oath, you know, to protect the citizens of your city when you become a police officer. He's not thinking about that. He's thinking about this casual way they had of just making oaths all the time. And the oaths didn't mean anything. And so he goes on and he names some of the specific ones they've been taking. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. So there it is again, just like we saw in Matthew 23. For it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And now he's going to, now in the next verse, he's going to fill up. Now this is what God really meant. Remember, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he takes up the Old Testament commandment, and he says, here's what the Old Testament commandment said, but this is just the barest sketch of what God wanted. It's just black and white. 
Now let me show you what God really wanted with this law, and he fills it in. Now he's going to fill it in on this thing of oath-taking. He says, Matthew 5, 33 to 37, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay? So he takes out the Old Testament command, which is don't, you know, don't break oaths you make in God's name. Don't swear falsely if you've done it in God's name. And he says, actually, <laughs> actually, what I want for my followers, what God's actually looking for, the life that pleases God, is that even when you don't take an oath, you're telling the truth. Even when you don't take an oath in God's name, even if you just say, yes, you're going to do something, that's just as good. Why? Your integrity. If you're a follower of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is actually living in you, his integrity, that holiness, is supposed to go right to the core of your being. Your integrity has to go way deeper than did you sign a contract, did you say, I promise. Your integrity goes right to the bottom. Your integrity isn't re resting on a contract, even if you hadn't signed the contract. The moment the word came out, the moment the word came out and you agreed to someone, I will fulfill that obligation, that moment you were bound by it because the spirit of Jesus is in you, and that's what God wants. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your integrity goes a whole lot deeper than just what oath did I take or what did I sign. Your integrity goes to the level of two things. First of all, I want to do to this other person what I would want them to do to me in their situation. And number two, your integrity goes to the level of Jesus is my master and I'm going to do what's right. That's the level. It's not, well, see, we're looking for technicalities. That's what, that's what we're looking for, right? What did I sign? What did I say? Things have changed in the last few months. What's going to make me a bit more money? What if I can, you know, this or that with the responsibilities I'm supposed to have? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the question. The question is, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And number two, Jesus is my master. What is right in this situation? He said, yes, you're going to do something. You said, no, you're going to do something. Then you do it even when it hurts. The Bible talks about this specifically. Psalm chapter 15. Psalm 15, David asks the question, who can walk with God? Who can be in the presence of God? Who pleases God? What kind of a person is that? And he answers the question. Here it is. Verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who can be in the presence of God? Who pleases God? God is with this person. Now he tells us. Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So first thing, integrity. Verse 3, Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, doesn't talk behind his friend's back, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And then we come to this, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, who swore to do something, who took an oath to do something, who promised to do something, who said he was going to do something, and even if that comes back to hurt him, he still doesn't change it. I love the way the NLT translates the last part of that verse this way, 15 verse 4 in the, in the NLT, who keep their promises even when it hurts. You want to know who can walk in the presence of God? Who can be filled by the Spirit of God? Young people here today, you know, people, they want the power of God. They want more miracles. They want more Holy Spirit. I love that. Me too. This whole Sermon on the Mount is about how you get there. A lot of people, they want to go straight to, I just, I'm praying for more miracles. I'm praying for more power in my life. No, no, no. That's that. I mean, yeah, you can pray for miracles. I love that. 
But the way you see more miracles in your life, the way you see more Holy Spirit power, isn't by specifically just praying, I want more Holy Spirit power. It's by doing the things that bring Holy Spirit power in your life. And David says, who is in the presence of God? Who pleases him? He lists a whole bunch of things. One of them is the one who keeps his promises even when it hurts. That means the most important question we have to ask in our day-to-day decisions, in our day-to-day lives is not, you know, what's going to make me the most money or what's gonna, what makes the most business sense here? The first, those are good questions. I mean, we, I mean, it's not that it's bad to ask those questions ever, but they are not the first question. The first question is what's right? And there's a story I just, I just have to share here. A few years ago, I read this book, and, uh, and then about four years ago, I shared a bit of this man's story in a, in a message, but I just have to share the, the, the story again because it just speaks exactly to what Jesus is saying here about the level of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no. And um, I read, anyway, I read this book about five years ago. It's called uh, Winners Never Cheat by John Huntsman. And it's a, just a little book. And it's, a, and it's an amazing story. And uh, John Huntsman was born in the 1930s, just a regular, average, hardworking family. They didn't have a lot of money. And they just, they just, they worked hard and they lived. That's and they ate. And that's what they did. And in 1970, him and his brother Blaine started a chemical company from scratch called the, the Huntsman Corporation, okay, in 1970, okay? They were very successful in what they did. Uh, 30 years later, in 2000, they were, their uh, company was $12 billion in annual revenue. So that's huge. They were the biggest uh, privately owned chemical company in the entire world. They're the biggest family-owned and family-run business in all of the U.S., okay? So, so these guys have been very successful, starting from scratch, from nothing, and on up. Very generous people. Uh, Huntsman has, uh, has said a number of times, he said that he wants to die broke because he can't bring it with you. And so he gives and he gives and he gives. In fact, he gave so much money, he was on the Forbes list of the top 400 richest people in the world, and he gave away so much money, he got knocked down into the 900s. Okay, now the 900s is still pretty rich, okay? I'm personally in about 1,200, 1,300 range. And uh, <laughs> thank you for your tithing. No, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> 900 is still pretty rich. But I mean, that's just how much he gave. He's, he's one of, he's, uh, even though he's o- only in the 900s, I, I think the, I read an article this week, it was about 937, but th- those rankings change, you know. But uh, he was about 937, but even though he's 937th or whatever on the latest list of wealthiest people in the world, He's uh, one of only 19 billionaires. They say there's about 1,200 billionaires in the world right now. He's one of only 19 of those 1,200 that's actually given away more than a billion dollars, okay? He's a very generous man. And he believes, and again, and if you're a business person here, anybody actually, you'll just be encouraged by his story. Winners never cheat. It's a great story. Um, But he believes that integrity is everything in business. And uh, in 1986, just one example, great story, in 1986, another huge chemical company, the Great Lakes Chemical Company, approached the Huntsman Corporation about buying a 40% share in one of the Huntsman Corporation uh, divisions, okay? And so the CEO of the Great Lakes uh, uh, Chemical Company, his name is Eric Campen. Eric Campen flew to meet John Huntsman, and they worked out this deal that the Huntsman Corporation would sell to Campen and the Great Lakes uh, Corporation a 40% share in this one division for $54 million. And at the end of the meeting, uh, Huntsman and uh, Campen shook hands on this deal. Campen went back to his headquarters, and promptly stuff happened 
they were very tardy, they didn't get the paperwork together, the legal documents. Six and a half months later, they still hadn't signed a single thing, okay? So they have this $54 million deal, and they've sh shook hands on it, but they haven't signed a single thing, no documentation is there. Meanwhile, during those six and a half months, the price of raw materials for the chemical stuff had, had, had fallen, had just cratered, it went right through the floor. And as a result of the price of raw materials being so low, the profit margins in this division of the Huntsman Corporation that they had just sold for $54 million, 40% of it, the profit margins in that division had more than tripled, okay? And now, in just six and a half months, this 40% share in this one division had gone from $54 million being worth $54 million to being worth, the bankers said, $250 million in six months, okay? That is $200 million extra in six months, okay? That's huge, all right? Now, what would you do in that situation? Okay? Now, I know because of where this message is going, you know what you should say. <laughs> but what would you actually do? Okay? Are you really all that different? Are we that different from the Pharisees? Are we that different? He hasn't signed anything. Campen phoned him up after six and a half months. He was embarrassed that they hadn't got the paperwork together. He felt terrible. He said, you know, this thing that you sold me for 54 million is now worth 250 million. And he said, now we made a deal, so I don't want to pay you a 250, but I'll meet you halfway. It's gone up 200 million. I'll give you an extra 100 million. I'll give you 150 million for it now because we just haven't signed anything yet. And you go, well, that's only fair. They haven't signed anything yet. Circumstances have radically changed. He should do it. Or, or actually, he should just hold him at 250 because it's worth 250. It's your fault you didn't get the paperwork done. Huntsman told him, I told you I was going to sell it to you for 54. I'm selling it to you for 54. Now, Campen protested the Huntsman. He said, that's not fair to you. Okay? That's not fair to you. And Huntsman said to him, Eric, you negotiate for your company and I'll negotiate for mine. And he said, I don't want to have to look over my shoulder all the time and have to wrestle my, with my conscience when I go to bed at night. I said I would sell it to him for $54 million, so I sold it to him for $54 million. See, for him, it wasn't a matter of which oath did I take. It wasn't a matter of this deal wasn't sealed until we signed it. No, no. I said I was going to sign it. The the, I said I was going to sell it for that. The moment I said that, it was sold in my mind. Your yes is yes, and your no is no. You say, yeah, but that's ridiculous, okay? He didn't have to do that. It wasn't legal yet. They didn't sign any paperwork. And again, that's what the Pharisees said. That's what the Pharisees said. Okay? This one you can, this one you can't. It's no different. You say, yeah, but that isn't how our society operates. Nobody expects that. You say, and there you're right. You are right. Nobody expects that in our society. But Jesus isn't calling us to live up to our society's standard of morality, is he? You know what Peter said in 1 Peter? He quoted from Leviticus. He said, this is what God's saying to you in the church. He said, be holy as I am holy. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, your standard is not, what does everybody else expect of me? Your standard is, the Spirit of Jesus Himself is living in you. You are a temple to the Almighty God. Your standard is His standard of holiness. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We're supposed to stick out. We are supposed to stick out. You know, that handshake went with Eric Campen to his grave. Him and Huntsman, actually, apart from this deal, didn't know each other. They didn't hang out personally or, or know each other or live close by. But John Huntsman, keeping to his deal, the fact that his word was worth more than $200 million, changed. That impacted camp and went with him to his grave. When he died at his funeral, one of his wishes were he asked for John Huntsman to be one of the principal speakers at his funeral. It had impacted him that big, even though they didn't really know each other otherwise. You want to know what is one of the biggest hindrances to the spread of the gospel in our country today? It's what happens out there Monday through Friday in the workplace and the marketplace. We're no different. We're no different. There's lots of decent people out there that don't believe in Jesus. And lots of us think, well, all he's calling us to do is just be another decent person. And I wonder why those other decent people don't want Jesus. Why would they want Jesus? You're no different, Hardy, than they are, or the difference is this big. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I'm not calling you to the world's level of integrity. I'm calling you to God's level. Be holy as I'm holy. And by the way, that's when God's kingdom begins to expand because people want to go and they want to live in that kingdom when they see the, how wonderful the holiness and righteousness of God is lived and being lived out through our lives. You say, yeah, but I'll lose money. This doesn't make business sense. It isn't fair because nobody else operates by these rules. It's not fair, Chris, for you to say that Christians have to operate by that level of integrity when all the people we're dealing with, they're sharks and they're trying to take advantage of me. It's not fair. And in that, you're right. It isn't fair for them because you have the creator of the universe on your side. Matthew 6.33, I quoted this verse already earlier in the series. It's coming up again in the series because Matthew 6 is in the Sermon on the Mount. But this, I'm going to quote this verse repeatedly throughout the Sermon on the Mount series because much of what Jesus is talking about, it rests on this because actually obedience comes down to trust. It really does. If you're going to live radical, if you're just going to be a decent, respect, respectable Christian, that doesn't take much faith, that doesn't take much trust. But if you're going to live, be holy as I am holy, you're going to live to that level, that level of integrity, that level of purity, you're going to have to trust Jesus because it's radical. And so the foundation behind how do you, who would live like this, people filled with the Spirit of Jesus, has to be people who trust Jesus to take care of them when they live this way. And he promises to, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. Order is everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus promises that if you will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will take care of all the details. If you reverse the order, though, the promise doesn't hold. Seek first his kingdom. That's, you know, the part we think about expanding the kingdom, you know, you're giving money to the cause and the church, and you're telling people about Jesus. That's important. Seek first his kingdom. We usually stop there, but he doesn't just say, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There is a, if you name the name of Jesus as your master and savior, then a first priority in your life is in your life to seek the righteousness of Jesus. That's actually a first priority. 
that we would pursue holiness, not just in integrity, but in purity, like we saw last week, and with our words, like we saw the week before, but that we would pursue holiness, because in that holiness, that is the kingdom of God. It's so wonderful. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. I mean, that story about John Huntsman, doesn't that just warm your heart? It just makes you feel good to even hear about that story. Why? Because holiness is wonderful. And when by the power of the Spirit of God inside of you, you begin to live holy, that is freedom. That is joy. That is wonderful. And Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So what does that mean? Does that mean now I don't seek prophets, I don't work hard? No, I talked about this two weeks ago. Seeking prophets is a perfectly spiritual thing to do. Do it for the kingdom while you're walking with Jesus. But prophets... Prophets and money and all that sort of stuff, those are fine things to seek as long as they're not first. Second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever down the list, wherever your life is at. First, you seek first as righteousness, which means in every decision, you're first. See, for us, it's compl- we complicate things. For many of us, if we had been in John Huntsman's shoes, that would have been a complicated decision. I would talk to people and they would say, if, if they were in that situation, I would probably talk to a bunch of you and you would say, or even myself in that situation, and I'd be like, well, I'm really wrestling over what decision to make. Well, what decision do you have to make? Well, it's worth 250 now. It was worth 54 when I shook hands. Well, yeah, that's very complicated. Wow, there's a lot of money involved. It's not complicated. It's complicated because we rationalize. Did you say you were going to sell them for 54? It's actually simple. It's very simple. Jesus said, if you said, yes, you're going to do it, you do it. If you said, no, you're not going to do it, you can trust you, you're not going to do it. It's actually simple. It's simple when your first priority is seek his righteousness. When your question isn't how much money, but what's right. Answer that question, then worry about how much money. What's right? Jesus is my Lord and Master and Savior. What does he want me to do? What's right? And the promise is, if you make that first, Jesus says, and I will take care of everything else because he says then at the end, and all these things will be added to you. But if you will not seek his kingdom first and instead you're going to seek to take care of yourself first, then Jesus says, well, if you want the responsibility of taking care of yourself, you can have it. You want to be in charge of taking care of yourself? Be in charge. But if you want me to be in charge of taking care of you, then you seek my kingdom and my righteousness first and then I promise to take care of the rest. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says integrity, truthfulness, have to go to the core of your being. If you say, yes, you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Now, again, we're not, so I just want to bring us together here, right at the end. He's not thinking about the case you're in court, signing a document or a contract. It's not bad to sign contracts. They spell out obligations and all this sort of stuff. It's not bad to sign them. But the key is that we always remember that our integrity doesn't rest on a piece of paper or signature. Our integrity is right to the core of our beings. The moment I agree that I'm willing to do something that you can depend on me for something, you can depend on me. Because I'm going to treat you as I would want to be treated by me if I was in your shoes. And Jesus is my master, so I'm going to do right. So if I say yes, I'm, it's going to be yes. Even before we, if we haven't signed a contract, it doesn't matter. I'm just as bound as if I had signed a contract. Okay? You can swear me to tell the truth, but I would have told you the truth even before it. It's fine to make vows. It's fine to take oaths. They give us memorable occasions. It's fine to make a marriage vow. It gives us something to remember back to. It's fine to take an oath as a police officer. It's something you can remember back to that solemn time when you said, I'm going to defend the citizens of this place. But as followers of Jesus, I would have done it even before that. My integrity goes that deep. Now, a couple of things here as we end this message. 
Because I know some of you will torment yourself over false guilt of all kinds of bizarre little things. Not talking here about everyday circumstantial things like you agreed to go to somebody else's house for dinner last Wednesday, your kids got sick so you didn't, and now you're under conviction, okay? Just reschedule. Okay? You said um, you were going to shingle so-and-so's house Wednesday, it rained cats and dogs for three days, you didn't make it, okay? Go the first day, it's sunny, okay? Which actually brings up something else, by the way. Maybe we should build a little bit of uncertainty into our language. If, if integrity is so important, we need to be careful how we talk. James, in the book of James, I wish I had time to go there, but in the book of James, talks about the, how people get themselves into sin by talking about what they're going to do next year when they don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So rather than just saying all the time, I'll be there Wednesday, why not just say, it's looking like I'll be there Wednesday. It's looking, that's what my goal is. I should be able to make it there, but hey, weather, something comes up, then, then it'll be a little bit after. Why, why not just say it that way up front if, it's, if, you, if you can't guarantee it, right? And lastly, people-pleasing. You want to know the number one cause in my life and most of our life, I think, for lack of integrity is just people-pleasing. We say yes to things we shouldn't say yes to because we don't want to disappoint people. Jesus says, when you're walking by the Spirit of God, what comes out of your mouth actually matters. There's a weight there. If you agree to something, only agree to stuff you're planning to actually carry through. And if you do that, this isn't a do and a don't. This is about the excitement of knowing Jesus. Jesus is calling us not to the earth's level or the earth's standard of integrity. Jesus is calling us to heaven's standard of integrity. And heaven's standard of integrity is wonderful. So I want to finish with some prayer. I always like to do this because I want God to speak to us now. We've just dwelt on his words by his spirit now. I want us, Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you now if you do these things. Don't just come here to hear a message in our heads. We go out of here and we know a bunch of things about oaths and vows that we didn't know before. No way. We came here to be touched by God and to go out and say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to experience you. So there's two questions I'm going to give you a chance to listen to God about now and then we'll worship. And you can pick one or you can pick the other, whatever. You can do the other one at home. It doesn't matter. One is, Lord Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me on this issue of integrity and truthfulness and keeping my word? Some of you, you don't have to do listening prayer. You have your pen out already, your paper, your phone, whatever. You don't have to do listening prayer. Already the conviction is there. Just write down whatever he's showing you. Maybe he's convicting you of something. Maybe he's telling you to change the way you talk. Maybe he's telling you to go back where you broke your word last week or last month or something, you need to fix something. I don't know. Is there anything you want to say to me about it? Maybe there's nothing there. Maybe, maybe you're living in that integrity already. God's already been getting a hold of you there and you've, you're, you're growing. You're, you're, you have some maturity there already. But it'd be horrible to listen to the word of God for 45 or 50 minutes and then go out and have nothing. So Jesus, what's one thing? Just give me one thing. I mean, Chris said a whole bunch of things, but what's one thing, Holy Spirit, you want me to take out this message. A reminder, something to change, something to do. Why don't you bow your heads with me and with those, pick one of those questions or whatever. Lord Jesus, you're giving us this call. It's a wonderful call. When we live at that level, when we pursue holiness, when we seek your righteousness in our lives, oh, joy. It's not a downer. It's joy. It's scary sometimes at first, but the moment we release ourselves in that place and pursue it and say yes to it, Jesus, you release joy and power in our lives. 
So is there anything you want to say to me or to any of us here today on this subject of integrity and truthfulness? We have our ears open and we will do what you want us to do. And maybe, Lord, maybe there's nothing to convict us of. Maybe some of us are walking in maturity in this already. What's one thing? Is there just one thing from this message? For each of us, it'll be totally different. We've got, we got a whole bunch of people in here this morning. Different lives, different things. What's one thing for my life, their life, our lives, we can take out of this message? Just to sum it up for us. We're going for it, Jesus. My prayer for Southland here, Lord, as we go through this message series, is we are not going to be just another bunch of Christians. But there's going to be something so radical, Jesus, holiness-like in our lives that we will be known. People, will, that your glory will resound out from our lives Monday through Friday. The glory of how awesome and righteous and amazing you are will resound out from our lives as we go to school and as we go to work. Because we're shooting for your holiness and your righteousness. May that be true of us in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.